Hello, Greg. It's good to see you again. Hello, Alicia. Are we, do we have two Hannibal Lecter's in here? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to do the... Who do you want me to be? Migs? Dr. Lecter? <laughs> <laughs> give, me your best, give me your best West Virginia. West Virginia? Yeah. Hello, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hello and welcome to our Halloween episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Hello and welcome. We haven't even started drinking yet. Not at all. This is our Halloween episode, is it not? It is our Halloween episode. Well, it's a banger. Yep. I'm pretty stoked about it. I'm pretty stoked, too. I feel like I was I was intimidated at first, but I've seen this movie so many times, and I'm excited to talk about it. What are we drinking for our Halloween episode? Well, I have another... Smog Days IPA series from Smog City. This one is called Sideways Rain IPA. Nice. You've been enjoying those? I have been enjoying them. I think you've had more, besides the stone beer, this is like your most sought after beer. I think you're correct. These Smog Days IPAs. How's that treating you? I'll do fine. Nice. What are you drinking? I am drinking a stout because it's stout season. On this lovely 94 degree day in October. This is from the Coronado Brewing Company, which we're also a fan of. And it's called the Early Bird Stout. It is a NOLA style, whatever that means, milk stout brewed with chicory, bird rock coffee, and lactose. Interesting. Do you feel like an imposter for drinking early bird? I do because I am not an early bird in the slightest bit. No. I'm not a morning There's person. There's nothing early bird about you. No, absolutely not. I. You're like the antithesis. I of do not bird. like mornings. <laughs> it's kind of a weak stout. It's only a five and a half percent. That is a weak is, stout. That's pretty low for a stout. I'm used to eight and higher for these. That is interesting. It needs to be a higher percentage. It needs to be stronger. Just... It kind of like coats your mouth in a strange way. Oh no. Yeah. It's... Do you need a new beer? Um, I don't know. Let me let me try another sip. You're making some weird faces over there. Try that. I don't want to try it. You know, try it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't like that. That's not a good stout. Ooh. Yeah. It's. I think it's the lactose. Yeah. New beer. Okay. I think we learned this lesson a long time ago. It's always important to have a backup beer. So now I got my Evil Dead Red just in time for Halloween and we are good to go. All right. Back on schedule. Back on track. What do you have planned for us this evening for our very special Silence of the Lambs episode? Well, you had the 
the concept of like a quid pro quo game. You didn't say it correctly. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. <laughs> I love your Hannibal. Thanks. <laughs> We're truly real, hard on it. A real hoot. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but then we didn't really know what that meant. Like where? Not that we didn't know what quid pro quo meant, but like, what did that game mean? And so I was thinking about it, and the whole quid pro quo is Hannibal Lecter trying to get to know Clarice and her deepest, darkest fears. Yes. So, that being said, I thought we could play a quid pro quo in which we ask each other our deepest, darkest shit. Oh, shit. Okay. And if we answer, then we get a drink of beer. Okay. Or we can decline and not get to drink beer. Okay. You can't drink that beer. The quid pro quo. Okay, but we didn't start yet. Yeah, we did. I'm thirsty. That's that's where the <laughs> that's where it comes into play. Wow, this sucks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cold and refreshing. <laughs> exactly. So I'll start it off and just random shit. Okay. okay. So if you were in a Donner party situation, okay, where you were like stranded with a bunch of people. In the wilderness, would you eat your fellow human beings to stay alive? Are they already dead? Okay, first first case scenario is that um, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Okay. They're not full-blown dead, but let's say you had, like, Catherine's there. Catherine? Yeah, just Catherine. Catherine's there. Okay. And she's broken her leg. My good friend Catherine. Good friend Catherine. She broke her leg a while ago. It's... Just not good. She's holding everybody back. And, like, you're at a point of you basically have to leave her behind and let her just die or you can eat her. Oh, I'm not going to eat Catherine if she's still alive. Not at all? No. Okay, she's already dead. If she's dead, hell yeah. Would you really? Yeah. If I was going to die, yeah, I'd eat Catherine. Do you eat her? Yeah. If she's only if she had already died. I wouldn't. <laughs> I remind me of the Simpsons. Like everything comes the... back to the Simpsons. <laughs> I think the veal died of loneliness. <laughs> if Catherine dies of loneliness, then yeah, I'll eat her. Then you'll eat her. Yeah. All right. You okay. So my I didn't know I had to think of questions. Okay, I have a question for you though. This isn't like a moral dilemma question though. It's Doesn't personal. Okay. Yeah. What's the most scared you've ever been? The most scared I've ever been. Because you don't. You don't show fear a lot. You're not like you're not a guy that gets spooked easily. So I, I'd like to know when you felt the most afraid in your life. That's a good question. Like I don't, I'm not sure if I have. Um, I just, the first thing that comes to my mind. I can probably think of something else. Uh, there is a. I'm gonna get like sad on you, okay. but there was a situation in which uh, lifelong dream. I'd wanted to go to Alaska, and then one of my grandfathers had actually lived and worked in Alaska. And we got to basically, you know, do this once in a lifetime opportunity thing where we had planned this for a long time and we drove up together and we were in Alaska and it was really awesome. But then my other grandfather on my mom's side was at home and he had dementia and Alzheimer's and his health was rapidly deteriorating. And it was just one of those things where my grandpa my dad's side that i was in alaska with like we weren't there very long when i had touched base with home and i basically got the news that my other grandfather was 
likely going to be passing away in the next, who knows? Like a couple days, Like possibly. a couple days. Yeah. And it it was a, a hard situation because I was, like, afraid that I was not going to be able to see my grandpa before he passed away. Like, you're afraid that you weren't going to make it back in time. I was afraid I was going to make it back in time. And it was just, like, and I was also, you know, kind of afraid of, like, just disappointing my other grandfather, too. Because he had put so much into setting this trip up and we suddenly had to, like, Please. rush home. That's a tough situation. And we situation. were, like, driving, too, so it was yeah. just, like... And it took, like, a week to get up there, right? Yeah. Or almost a week. So we spent most of the trip driving, and you get to spend yeah. all that much time actually in Alaska. And so, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I was, like, I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to see my, my grandfather before he died. That's a tough situation. Thanks for sharing that. Have a drink. You earned it. Would you reveal yourself and try to deepen or establish a relationship with Hannibal Lecter as Clarice did? I probably would. Do you? I really think I would. I'm kind of an oversharer when I shouldn't be. And I think I would. But like you're... <sighs> I don't know though. I'm just thinking about like what you know about Serial killers, yeah, that's, uh, and you get so freaked out by that stuff. I would be... I really do get freaked out by that, but I... Okay, I guess I need more information. Like, reveal myself in order to get more information from Hannibal Lecter about a serial killer that I'm trying to catch? I mean, you're trying to. Like, do you have enough faith in yourself that you would actually be able to get to Hannibal Lecter without him getting to you? Me? No. <laughs> Okay, Clarice Starling is tough as nails, and I am not. I am a, <laughs> I am a big fluffy teddy bear. <laughs> but I think I would try. You would sit in a room with Hannibal Lecter. There's glass between us. Oh man, I just how could how could you not? It's, a lot of people would. Uh, I would be so terrified, but I think I think in that situation I would. All right. Yeah. What about you? Oh fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually. Uh... You know, we both come from, like, just being weird kids, teenagers, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. obviously, we both have had some normies out there, might say, uh, unusual, drawn, like, been drawn to the, the macabre of serial killers and things like that. And just spooky things in general. Just the, the darker side so, of life. So, and, uh, especially in middle school and early high school for me is where I started to get into researching serial killers and things of that nature. Yeah. And uh, I actually wrote to, like, Charles Manson and, like, a few others. Oh, that's right. That's... See, that I couldn't do. I Like, I don't... I don't want to talk to those people. Yeah, now yeah, I, no I, I look back and I'm like, what a dum-dum. Yeah. <laughs> did you... Okay, did you have a return address on those envelopes when you sent the letters? Uh, Well, I think I had to because I wanted a response. Oh, yeah, I just... I have... I have no interest in talking to any of those people. And the, that's why um, the show Mindhunter really got under my skin. Because just like imagining being in that guy's position, having to go in and actually talk to these people is just terrifying to me. And then you just asked me if I would talk to Hannibal Lecter. That's what but, I'm saying. I knew it. I knew but, it. <laughs> <laughs> it really, I think I you're would, fooling yourself. Okay. I think I'm fooling myself, too. I'll just say that I would try. I think you want to want to. I want to want to, but I don't fucking want to talk to him. I don't think so. I, <laughs> I just I can't handle that shit. What's, like, the biggest trouble that you've ever been in? 
Dicks. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. What's the most dangerous situation that you've ever found yourself in? Most dangerous situation? Yeah, uh, like it could, or it could be like potentially dangerous. Like you're, you're in this situation and you're like, how did I get myself into this? And well, when you can, think back on it, you're like, wow, that was a close call. Well, I could say the most dangerous situation I've ever been in is falling asleep behind the wheel of my automobile and almost driving off of like a ravine and stuff. That's terrifying. You know how they have like those rumble strips? Yeah. And there's like the double rumble strips? Yeah. I was uh, driving home. I was taking a road trip. I'd been gone for like a couple months or something like that. And I was, oh, this was on your your cross country trip. I had so many situations like that. I, was, I can't even tell you, but there was one in particular, and they were all fucking terrifying. That's so scary. But the scariest one was because it was in the middle of the day, and I was terrified or like just absolutely exhausted. I was driving, and I was they had the double rumble strips on the side, and it was like just this highway, and then the side it wasn't like a ravine, but it was a sharp decline, and it was like a fucking roll down and tumble for a lo- really long time. Oh my gosh. Situation. That's um, All around, and I it was actually to the point when I kept on, you know, falling asleep and then I would like, rumble pad, rumble pad, rumble pad, and I would like get to the point where I'd almost be off the rumble pad all the way on the one side and then I, the last time that before I actually like just stopped my car which I should have done a long time ago, was my second set of tires had just finished coming off the rumble pad. Oh and that's God. when I finally woke up. Barely. That is so scary. And I was just like this, you know, just a gnat's ass away from going down. Holy shit. And had that, you know, like the, it took that long for me to wake up, like that much of the, the rumbling and everything like that. So that's probably the most dangerous situation I've ever been in. As far as like immediate close danger, to, immediate yeah. close to death. That's scary. Um, as far as being, I think what you were looking for is like just like kind risky. Of, risky. Yeah, yeah, I I remember uh, so many stupid things. Yeah, I know. I think I'm I'm glad that I survived. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Uh, do you remember watching videos in like eighth grade, maybe ninth grade, of what your teachers and adults thought of drugs and like the parties that drugs would be around yeah this is your this is your brain on drugs yeah yeah that kind of thing and like you would just see just what looks like absolutely ridiculous activities kids in rooms together and i don't know smoking drugs off a foil next to a tv that was fuzzy and it just like so cliche yeah yeah and there was a point where i was meeting up with a friend that I had kind of been off and on with. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he was kind of in, well, he, he, you know, had gotten into some harder shit. And I wasn't interested in any of that. But we started hanging out a little bit again. And I went to a party with him. And i walking through the different rooms. And it was like being in that eighth grade video where they're like smoking meth. Oh, God. Like each room was a scene from room, one of those. Yeah, each like room a dare was video. A, yeah. And I was just like. How the fuck am I in this house, in this place? And that's where I started to question my life. I'm yeah. like, I have, like, I have I gotta, some things. I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> I have to go and right I have now. to change some shit in my life. Yeah. That's... Glad you got out of there, all right. In one fine. piece, yeah. Take a drink. You earned it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm just eyeballing my beer longingly. It's so refreshing. So my last question for you, and this one's kind of a nice one, but okay. I, I think it is uh, still holds with the... Character development and Silence of the Lambs vein. Okay. Tell me about a time when you were brave. When I was brave? Yeah. Okay, let me think about that. 
I guess I'll just talk about the first thing that comes to mind because I know there's like more than one situation, but this is the first one that I thought of that was so in a way out of character for me and not something that I would normally do. But I I really like to face my fears in certain situations. That's why I love horror so much. But the first example I can think of is I wouldn't describe myself as a shy kid necessarily, but I've never been super social. I'm very introverted and I am very easily drained by social situations and I absolutely despise public speaking. I will say that I have a fear of public speaking, but I got like a wild hair up my ass in elementary school. I was in fifth grade and I decided to see if I could run for and win class president, which included writing and giving a speech in front of the entire school. And I did that and I did a good job. Nice. Did and you I was president? I did not win. The popular girl won. But <laughs> I did it. Karen won? <laughs> Karen won. I think her name was Patricia. <laughs> Patricia won. She was very nice. She was just very popular and I was not, but that was just so out of character for me and it felt scary and I felt brave doing it. Well good on you. Thank you. What a lovely question. Good game. Well thanks. So I actually have my own little thing that I came up with in celebration of our Silence of the Lambs episode. And this was inspired by your borderline inappropriate love and respect for Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I know it's come up on the show so many times, but my God, do you love this man? <laughs> and it is disturbing. <laughs> but... I kind of wish I could say I did. Like every time I go watch him and his character, I always try to like take it from the stance of like, this is a really bad man. This is a this very is a really bad, bad man. man but this I'm like immediately like schoolgirl crush on him. So you you inspired me because he is, you know, he is a very bad man. He scares the living shit out of me in the best way. Like he is so incredibly charming and delightful as like the perfect villain. So I made a list of my top ten, my top ten villains that I just find disturbingly charming. So these are in no particular order, and these are just villains that I, despite how bad they are, there's just something about them that I find charming, funny, etc. Number one on the list is none other than Black Phillip. <laughs> as a goat or as a Satan? I'm going to say both. As a goat, he is just so fucking cool and so suave, and I just <laughs> mad respect. And then... As Satan. I've never heard of the goat described as suave. He is a very suave goat. And when he turns into a human, he has like that silky smooth voice. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that movie took that kind of play <laughs> for you. Well, not like that, but it's just like I could see why she was like, fuck yeah, I'll sign your book, you know? Number two. And this one is not like, this guy was incredibly disturbing, almost unbearably so, but just the performance was so funny and charming. But I have uh, Mark Duplass as Joseph in Creep. That okay. guy just tickled my funny bone. <laughs> that was a hoot, man. Really, I loved that I've movie. I've actually been wanting to watch that one again. I have been too. I've been thinking about it, and I actually watched the sequel not too long ago. Did you? How was that? It was great. Was it? Yeah, it was a lot more fun than the first one and a lot more lighthearted. Okay. I think it was very clever, very well written. It felt like a movie for writers, or for filmmakers especially, but I really enjoyed it. It was very fun. The first one was a lot more just unbearably uncomfortable. This one was more fun, and it still had some of those what-the-fuck moments, but they're both great. Nice. Number three, good old Fred Krueger. Yeah, I love Freddy. I love Freddy. 
I know he's a very bad man, but I really love him. Number four is Annie Wilkes from Misery, Hoot and a Half. Number five, Mr. Patrick Bateman love Patrick. from American Psycho. Just very bad guy. Wouldn't want to run into him. Is he? he is. <laughs> he's a very bad guy. Okay, number six, I have a question. Like, does this count? And is this person a villain? And if he doesn't count, I have a backup. (laughs) But if he counts, I have David from Prometheus. Oh, of course he counts. Okay. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. I feel like it could be possibly debatable. So, yeah. David from Prometheus. Number seven. We just watched this last night. Minnie Cassavet from Rosemary's Baby (laughs) is just a goddamn delight. (laughs) I love her. Number seven, I have, I know you hate this movie, Nancy from The Craft. Do you hate that? Always a good time. (laughs) Number nine, I have Gary Oldman as Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Quite the charmer. Okay. Just a charming villain. Like he's... Yeah, I'll give you that. I like to give that movie a lot of shit, but he's... It's trash and I love it. It's a great piece of trash. Good movie. But he's a very... Do you like him as young Dracula? Like with his long... Uh, hair or I don't with the, like the big like Mr. Burns thing going on. Oh man, the costumes in that movie are just unreal. They're so good. I I really do love the kimono with the giant Mr. Burns buns, but man, there's so many great forms that he takes. There's the badass looking werewolf thing. There's the bat creature. There's the he shows up as green smoke, a pile of rats. There's something very charming about him. All right. All right, and number 10, the last one on my list, is none other than Lord Summerisle from The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) Just a delight. (laughs) So when I was thinking of that list, I kind of decided to cut you a little bit of slack on your love for Hannibal Lecter because there are some deeply charming villains out there. You know, it's funny. I looked up a bunch of uh, fun facts about this movie, of which there are plenty. And one of them was that Sir Anthony Hopkins... While he was uh, researching this, he actually went and talked with a few different serial killers. What? And, like, interviewed them in prison. And then he went to, like, some court cases for some pretty grisly murders. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Um, So he was, like, trying to get into the mind of a serial killer and, like, trying to understand how they think and all that kind of stuff. But as he was doing that, he got, like, really into it. And he started talking to the director and the director was like, Hannibal Lecter is not a bad man. Or no, at first he said he's a good man. And what? Anthony Hopkins is like, I'm confused. And he's like, okay, let me rephrase that. He has a he's code? Not, he's not a bad man. <laughs> he's just trapped in an inhuman mind. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Which I'm not quite sure what but... that means. But that's kind of where he was trying to go with that. So when you were saying that, like, he's, he's such a bad man, you know, I guess... And they talk about this in the movie, too, to some degree, you know, about his, like, his code and everything. Yeah. Of, he's not, he's complicated in the sense that he's he's not just straight up evil. Except he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can, I definitely Except see Except he 100% where, is. <laughs> I can definitely see where you're coming from. I can, you know, I. Oh my God, I respect totally is. that. <laughs> He hates maybe. people. No, he's evil. He's a bad man. He's not fully bad, though. Just because he's charming doesn't mean he's a bad man. And I think it was so clever the way that he juxtaposed him with, like, 
the scumbags that are in that prison with him, like, and even Chilton and Buffalo Bill and all these other, like, leering, creepy men, he comes off as just a saint compared to them. Yeah. And I think that's very intentional. Very much It so. makes it a lot more seductive. But no, he's he's evil as fuck. Are you kidding me? <laughs> just watch watch part two. Watch Hannibal. And you'll see. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Hannibal one day. Like, it gets way I too much hate. I love it, too. It's It's a good time. Let's just dive right into this movie. Everybody's seen it. We don't need to do a blow-by-blow of the plot, but there is a hell of a lot going on here and a lot to talk about. I wanted to ask you first, though, before we get into the nitty-gritty, this was in both of our top 10 lists. It was much higher on your list than it was on mine, and this, you said, was your most watched horror movie ever. I think so. What is it about this movie that makes it one of your all-time favorites? What do you love about it? You can't just say everything. (laughs) What does it do for you? Oh, man, that's a hard question. I just, yeah. every single, this is like the the horror version of Shawshank Redemption, where it's just oh, like, yeah. no matter how many times I watch it, the moment I see it on, I'm in, and I'm just hooked. And Every moment, right? It's every just moment. And even, mesmerizing. And somehow, like, I don't ever really stop and put this movie on or actively seek it out. Yeah. But again, it's like, if it's on, I'll put it on, or if I run across it. And when I do, like, when we were about, even this time, when we were about to sit down and watch it, there was just a part of me that was kind of feeling like, I've seen this so many times, am I going to be into it this time? Yeah, is it going to be just as good? Gonna, and then... Um, Every fucking within, time! Within seconds, I'm just hooked, and I find myself, even though it is kind of a longer movie, like, it's two hours or something like that? Two yeah, it's, a, it's almost two hours like long, I think. I think it's almost two hours long. And... I don't feel it at all. Like I am in just hardcore the entire time and for multiple reasons. Like it's shot beautifully, it's intoxicating how much there's this intimate, close connection with everyone that's talking. And then there's the fact that it's Hannibal Lecter and obviously I love Hannibal Lecter, and you find him terrifying. The, the interactions between people, you have the serial killer aspect, you have the murder mystery type of things. You don't, like, know exactly what's going on, and you're getting all different sides of this, but only in, like, slivers and pieces. Yeah, this movie is just a murderino's wet dream, yeah. basically. And the character development is great. Yeah, I feel the same way. Every single time I watch this movie, there is, for some reason, I... Also, don't often seek it out to watch it, but if we stumble across it and it's streaming somewhere or if it's on, I can't not watch it. The pacing is just incredible. It flies by. It's one of those rare movies where every time I watch it, I don't want it to be over. Mm-hmm. I just want it to keep going. And it feels like it it goes by too quickly and I just want more. As soon as she knocks on the door to old Mrs. Lippman's house. Oh, God, I'm getting goosebumps. And he answers. Bill answers. I know how close it is to the end. And ever, that's like that's the scene for me where I'm like, fuck, it's almost over. Yeah. And you're not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah, and I, I think I said this on our top 10 episode when we were kind of gushing over this movie a little bit, but it just does something that I think is so hard to pull off where it has... Not one, but two of the most iconic horror villains of all time. And neither one of them ever overshadows the other. No. You know what else I think it is? I'm just, I'm just, just coming to me now. but And, I, and it's something that's gotten um, a lot more attention and traction in recent times with 
mine hunter and um, with the the solving of the Golden State Killer and yeah. people kind of appreciating criminal psychology and these behavioral units, yeah. right? And I think it was uh, obviously Jack Crawford is modeled and based on John Edward Douglas, who Mindhunter is about. And like he basically developed modern psychological profiling of serial killers yeah. and the criminal mind and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's something that really drew me to this initially, not really understanding what was drawing me into it, but this idea of like having to pick the mind. And having kind of the foresight to pick the mind of a serial killer to catch another one, to see yes. how they think. And I, it, it's very um, vague in this movie. It's kind of in the background when you think about it. Obviously, she's questioning Hannibal and everything, but it's almost more in the sense of no one else is doing this. Like, Jack Crawford sends her to do this because he has the foresight to do it. Yeah. But even for him, it kind of seems like a a short straw, throwing seeds out there and hoping something will grow. But I don't think he was really expecting much out of this. And he even kind of says that to her in the get-go. Like, he's probably not going to answer anything for you. And if he does, he's probably just going to fuck with you. And I don't think he really, truly expected... Clarice to get much out of Hannibal but the fact that she she does pursue this so tenaciously and plays it so close to the what's that phrase like close to the slab or something <laughs> so sure that works <laughs> it's real close she plays it so close you know yeah and um, yeah. the fact that it pays off absolutely and that and that is truly what gets them like the only leads that they ever get in this movie are from Hannibal. Even like the kind of false red herring lead that gets them anywhere, like even on the right somewhat path, even though it's to the wrong person, yeah. was through Hannibal. God, this just has so many layers. I don't even know where to start. I have so many notes, but you mentioned something that kind of made the ball get rolling in my head. But you mentioned something about how strong the character development is in this movie. And I've seen this a million times and... Up until this watch, I've never really paid much attention to the direction, like the actual direction and the cinematography. I always felt like it was really the performances that made this movie so strong. You know, Jodie Foster as Clarice, Anthony Hopkins, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, just a, a banger cast. But this time around, I really started paying attention to how this movie was shot, and I was completely blown away. Every shot in this movie is designed to not only stress you out, but to really put you in Clarissa's shoes and to make you feel like you're on her side and you're experiencing what she's experiencing. 100%. And and just being in a criminal investigation, how high the stakes are. Yeah. And like what you're dealing with and how even just her when she goes to explore that yourself storage facility. Yeah. And like something that seems so routine as investigating a storage you know facility or something like that when you're investigating a murderer who skins his hides and how dark that is and everything that's involved with that like how it was kind of funny she's like if anything should you know if this door should follow me or <laughs> anything like, should happen <laughs> anything <to me."> else <laughs> like, 
here's my card called here's Jack my Crawford. Card. Like anything could possibly fucking happen. That scene and cracked how me terrifying up. that is to yeah. like be locked in there by herself. Yeah, and I just it really hit me hard this time because we've we talked about Clarice quite a bit in our alien episode when we we were talking about our favorite women in horror. And I always knew that this was a like super feminist horror movie, but my god, it really is. Insanely. Yeah, yes. like I it's just so it's so incredible. I don't I'm I'm speechless right now. I don't know what to say, but just the way that this was shot, like all of these first person shots of men just staring at her everywhere she goes and the camera is positioned in a way where they're looking into your eyes because you're supposed to be, you know, in her shoes, but they're looking down at you. And I just I didn't really notice that as much before and like everywhere she goes, it's these first person shots of men staring at her and looking at her. And there's this whole thing that women constantly experience where we're just always being looked at everywhere we go. And it it makes that so accessible for anybody who's watching this movie, like what that feels like. And it's designed to make you uncomfortable and really empathize with her. Even the men she interacts with that have good intentions, like Jack Crawford, there's some interesting moments, one in particular, where she's talking to him in his office, and he's sitting up in his chair with his hands behind his head in this relaxed, leaned back position, which is totally a power pose. And Jack Crawford isn't an outwardly power hungry kind of guy, but he has like the privilege and the ability to be completely comfortable doing that. And Clarice has to really think about her every move and think about how others perceive her. And I, I love that scene after they leave the funeral home where she kind of calls him out for basically using her gender to get the other cops to cooperate with them. Like she, he kind of does the whole, oh, we can't talk about this with the lady present. And she kind of respectfully gives him a little shit about it. Like, you know, that matters. People look to you to see how to treat me and how to treat your inferiors. And that stuff really matters. And it just really hit me a lot harder watching it this time around with the camera work, especially. That's actually one of my... I love the whole movie. It's fucking perfect. Far- <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> I, I want to say that's one of my favorite. I love that scene when they're in the funeral home and they're about to do a, a investigation on the body that they just... Most recent body they dug out of the river. And that's where, you know, you have all those cops that are around and they... Jack Crawford leads her in this room with all these guys... Right. And they're all just like they have their coffees and everything. But everybody like she's the the one like weird outcast, but also she's the woman. So like there's both the sense like, you know, ogling, ogling her, but also like you're a woman. And what also undermining doing? her. Right. Yeah. At the same like, time. Like what authority do you have to be here? What say do you and, have? And I don't think it's a, a surprise to anyone and no one could really deny it. But obviously like law enforcement is a male-dominated industry. I feel like that was showcasing that, but that conversation you kind of alluded to or paraphrased, that's one of my favorite lines, because Jack Crawford in the car, he's like, <laughs> that really pissed you off, huh? And she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it and, matters. you know, she was like, they respect you, and people look to you, or she said, like, people respect you. They look to you to see how to act. She's like, it matters. People look to you to know how to act. It matters. And she repeated the, like, it matters thing. And I was like, that's, I thought that was such a powerful scene because 
so many times in everyday life, you know, we have these circumstances where you hear something like, well, you know, what does it matter? What does it matter if I say it this way? Or what does it matter if I do it this way? Or what does it matter if this TV character or this movie, something happened? And it's just like, that is where people get the idea of how to act. And it's back to Hannibal Lecter, right? Mm-hmm. What do we, you know, covet? What do we do? We, you know, we an imitation. I'm like, we covet what we see every day. And man, God. Oh, I mean, it's fucking, okay. We're, I know, here I'm we get, go. I'm getting, here we go. <laughs> hit the gas. Hit the gas. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so it's really Clarice's insight because of what she experiences every single day as a woman that I think allows her to move forward so much in this case and catching Buffalo Bill, a killer of women. And that scene, I was just about to bring up that scene with Hannibal where he talks about what does Bill do? He covets and he asks her, don't you feel eyes moving over your body all the time? people coveting you. So she's able to put herself in that position because she experiences this every day. And something else that really stuck with me this time around that isn't really a standout line, but it really stuck with me this time, just thinking about that whole thing, was when after Catherine was kidnapped by Buffalo Bill, and we find out that she's actually the daughter of a senator. And the senator, her mother, is on TV pleading with Buffalo Bill to see her daughter as a human being. And Clarice is like the only person paying attention to this news press. And she's completely enraptured by it. And she says to her, I think it's to her close friend, Ardelia, that she's talking to. She says, that's so brilliant. That's so smart. Don't you see what she's doing? She says, if he sees her as a person and not just an object, it's harder to tear her up. Yeah. And I feel like she's the only one who understands that. And as a woman, she understands like exactly what it feels like to be seen as an object. And she constantly has to strategically fight to be taken seriously. She has to think about her every move and her every action. Right. And she does it with some goddamn class. I'll say that. She sure does. <laughs> I also really appreciated that. I have a lot of things. I'm sorry. But I really appreciated that her character isn't written as trying to be one of the guys and like going along with it. She is deeply committed to doing her job, being professional, but also being her authentic self. And I think that is also incredibly powerful. That really stuck out to me too. But I also noticed this time around, we were talking about all these first person shots of men just staring at her. And Clarice so rarely looks at the camera herself. But when she's talking to other women, she does. Yeah. And it's level. So there's that scene where she's talking to her friend Ardelia. And then the scene not long after that, where she's talking to the woman in the grocery store. And in both of those scenes, she's talking to an equal and she is able to significantly move forward in the case and figure some shit out. Well, also, I think that there's the, like you said, that eye to eye type of thing where, so the the movie really is shot from Clarice's perspective. That's why there's all these like in the camera shots, like looking in the camera. Yeah. But even besides them looking down when it's usually men. I do think there's a slight exception, and that's with Hannibal. Yeah, because she, she did look at Hannibal dead on a couple times, And right? Hannibal looks at her dead on. Hannibal, I think, Hannibal and Jack Crawford are the only two men that actually look at Clarice and the lens head on and, like, see her for who she is. And then the women do. But what I was getting at was the fact that not only are they usually looking down at her, but they're usually not looking direct 
you always kind of see them looking in the lens, but like a little bit off as though they're looking at her body. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because it feels very uncomfortable and kind of impersonal. Or yeah. like everybody being... else is looking like dead into the lens as though they're looking at you, Clarice, dead yeah. in the eyes. Yeah. But all, the, all those other shots, they're looking like not directly at her, or at least not her eyes. Do you know who the director adamantly wanted to play Clarice? No. Michelle Pfeiffer. Really? Yeah. Okay, I mean, sure. You think? Michelle Pfeiffer is great. It's it's hard in hindsight to think of like other potential roles for such iconic characters, but I think she would have done fine. But it, but it is so hard to imagine anyone else's Clarice. But I will say, like, I think one of the reasons I hear most often about why people hate Hannibal is because they were so upset that somebody else was playing Clarice. It was Julianne Moore. I think she nailed it. She did a great job. She so I, that, that role can be successfully played by other people. It's always weird in hindsight, too. But it is weird in hindsight, So as far as yeah. that goes, I just want to get off on a little tangent, if I could. Sure. I thought it was pretty interesting. So uh, Gene Hackman actually bought the rights to this book because I think he initially wanted to... Well, he, he definitely wanted to direct it and then lead in it. So I'm not sure exactly what that meant. I don't, I don't know if he wanted to be Hannibal or what, but I think... I yeah, could actually I think, see I, it. I yeah, I could it, see it. You know? So I think that was going on. But then I guess he had just done some type of role where he, he had played like a really bad person, like an FBI agent, and he didn't want to like do two roles in a row where he was just like a horrible person, and he thought it was too dark. And then Jodie Foster actually had originally wanted to buy the rights to this book. Like she, oh, was, wow. she was all in on this like from the get-go before it even was like conceptualized. And then, again, the director wanted Michelle Pfeiffer because he had worked with her before. He also didn't like Jodie Foster's boston accent and movie that she had been in even though she'd gotten best actress for that role so it sounded like a petty thing yeah but she was like the director just adamantly did not want her but she tenaciously went after it and then eventually i think there was something along the lines he's he's like like, what was i thinking well not only that he came to the realization that her determination for the role was so clarice like oh that's great that kind of reminds me of uh when we did mandy learning about how badly Nicolas Cage wanted to play Red. And the director was like, no, absolutely not. I want you to play Jeremiah Sand. That's not what I envisioned. And he talked to Elijah Wood, and Elijah Wood was like, dude, what are you thinking? He's perfect for this role. And he had to fight really hard for it. (laughs) And I can't imagine anybody else in that movie, in that role. Why would you want, if you had Nicolas Cage for any character in that movie... Any same person would have known immediately. Yeah. I cannot picture anything else. That's so cool. I did hear, I know there were a lot of different considerations for who they wanted to play Hannibal. And I'm sorry in advance because I cannot remember which podcast I heard this on. And I wish I could because I want to give you credit because this made me laugh so hard. If you're out there, if you happen to be listening, kudos. Thank you for the laugh. But they were talking about how... Daniel Day-Lewis was one of the considerations for this role. And if you know anything about Daniel Day-Lewis, you would know that he is a hardcore method actor. So they were joking, like talking about what that would have been like and saying, Daniel Day-Lewis ate four people in preparation for this role. (laughs) I love that that so much. (laughs) Actually, the director wanted Sean Connery. No! I know. No, I can't. And actually, Sean Connery turned it down. That's the only reason why they didn't go. Sean Connery was like, are you kidding me? There's no... (laughs) 
Anthony Hopkins is just though. perfect. Oh, yeah, so let's... Sean Connery, like, come on. So we've been talking about Clarice up until now. Let's talk about the infamous Dr. Hannibal Lecter, your favorite person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this was like during the time, like with Seven and stuff, where this is where that, that intellectual killer came into play. That psychological intellectual killer best thing to come out of the 90s seriously the incredible serial killer thrillers love it and i think it's like you said it was like such a juxtaposition because they they put him in the same cell or the same block as these raging psychopaths and these deranged killers and that's what we think of when we think of killers like these deranged people and so the idea of a murderer a killer that is not deranged. He doesn't fit the social norms by any stretch of the imagination, but he knows you can argue with other people. They don't know what they're doing. Like they yeah. don't know what's wrong or it's just a power thing or a lack of empathy or whatever it may be. Yeah. But with Hannibal Lecter, you know full well that he is probably more cognizant of what he is doing than you are. Which makes it so much more terrifying. Right. And he was a psychiatrist. He is a He's psychiatrist. Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Lecter. He had patients who trusted him. That and is I, terrifying. And I love that one of the first, after the first encounter, we get to understand just how skillful he is in his manipulation of people and the understanding of the human mind. Because... Miggs has thrown his ejaculate in Clarice's face. Oh, God, that gets me every time. Which is just awful. And Hannibal has that code of ethics where he hates rude people. And just, like, the uncouth, if you will. I think we learned so much about him in that first scene. Because it kind of seemed like... And we don't know, he could have been playing mind games with us, too, or with Clarice. It kind of seemed like he was going to tell her to fuck off, basically, and he didn't want to help her. But then that happened to her, and he calls her back, and he was like, I would not have had that happen to you. I think that was absolutely abhorrent. And then he gives her information immediately. Right. He decides to help her because- Yeah, I think Megs is like a pivotal- (laughs) Pivotal. Pivotal. Pivotal character at least plot in this like you said i think 100 percent hannibal Lecter was he was not interested not interested and was like fuck off yeah essentially and the nicest way that he possibly yeah. could but like get out of here but I'm he done. respected her but he respected her and when nix did that he you know that was his way of saying i'm sorry that i never would have had that happen but the fact that he is able to coerce Miggs into swallowing his own tongue and killing himself From across the next cell. That's like our introduction to him. That is how skillful he is. There are so many worms in this movie that just get into your brain and haunt your dreams. We read the, or listened to the audiobook not that long ago, like a year ago, and I'm happy to say it was equally as good as the movie and vice versa. It was just fantastic, but I could not sleep some nights after listening to that. There's so much in this movie, which is what I also loved about Seven, that just leaves so much to your imagination. And that, like you said, that is our introduction to Hannibal Lecter. Like, what could he have possibly said to Miggs to get him to swallow his own tongue 
and die. And before that, we we are planted, a seed is planted by Jack Crawford, where he says, you know, and that's Jack Crawford. He's a very serious man. He's not going to go freely about things. Yeah. But he looks at Clarice like dead in the eye. Again, one of the few characters that does, male characters that does, and warns her, do not tell Hannibal Lecter anything personal. Yeah, and be like, careful he with him. will get into your mind. That seed, along with what he does to Miggs, I think that combination is just like, holy fucking shit, who is this guy? And then even before that, when she first gets to the institution where he's housed and she's talking to Chilton and he's being a gross scumbag with her, he's just taking delight in, the, in this whole thing. But he pulls out this picture and is describing what Hannibal did to this nurse. And we don't see the picture. He just shows it to her and said, like, he did that to this nurse. This is what she looked like. And it was something like, I don't even remember what it was. He doesn't describe very much, but it burns this image into your brain. He says that he complained of having like a stomach ache or some kind of, he complained of not feeling well. And while she was taking his temperature or about to take his temperature, he bit her face. He like ate her face or bit out her eyes or just something just completely grotesque, but you don't see it. It's just planted in your brain. And then we get that amazing image of her walking through this hall of all these people. And then he's just standing there waiting for her with his hands behind his back like a gentleman. And I think that's one of the things that's so terrifying about him. Because, again, he's so cognizant of what he's doing. As much as some of his behavior is animalistic, you get the sense of him being such a distinguished and regal figure. You laughed at me really hard this time, but that whole sequence where they meet up with the senator and they try to strike a deal with him and it goes horribly, horribly wrong because Chilton's a piece of shit. Everything is his goddamn fault. I mean, it's Hannibal's fault, but Chilton just ruined it. Exacerbates things. He's just an asshole. Power-hungry asshole. But the scene where Clarice goes to leave and he goes to hand her something and he just, like, lightly strokes her finger. (laughs) I just, I screamed. Like, it's just so, oh, it's so creepy. (laughs) Just a little stroke. I read that the scene where he starts to make fun of her accent was actually an impromptu. And Jodie Foster's initial response, because she looks so kind of shocked, right? Like, how dare you type of thing, was genuine. And she actually thanked him afterwards for kind of coaxing her. But she felt like it was a dig at her acting. But I thought that was kind of neat. Did you know that Anthony Hopkins is on the spectrum? I had heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't find out until much later in life, but he has talked before about like having a really hard time relating to other actors that he's worked with and people thinking that he's strange. And I just, I wonder how playing this role exacerbated that. I guess I was, yeah. the director was saying like how, how weird he was and that I guess in between takes, he wouldn't break character. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> he actually like lashed out at one of the hands or whatever that was on there because he came into the cell to adjust something and he's like, oh, what are you doing in my cell? Oh my God. <laughs> I think that I know this is like one of your favorite lines in the whole movie, but they were talking about when he killed that nurse. Chilton is talking about it and then he's like, his pulse never went above 85. <laughs> it's so good. And we get to see that in action later on. Yes, we do. And that during that horrifying escape scene. Oh, man. When he's just beating that officer with the nightstick and his face is completely deadpan, the blood splattering all over him, and he's just methodically in perfect rhythm 
beating this guy to death. To Mozart or Beethoven. I can't remember if Mozart or Beethoven. I can't I remember either, but my God, it was terrifying. And just the way that that guy starts screaming when he's walking towards him because he knows, knows. he's completely screwed. Yeah. And I guess the fact that he wears white was uh, Anthony Hopkins' idea. Oh, really? Because initially they were just going to have him be in like a green, or I'm not green, but like an orange or yellow jumper like you would normally see. But Anthony Hopkins wanted to play into the fact that people are intrinsically afraid of doctors and dentists. Yeah. And the fact that it was kind of like a weird kind of play on things because he is a, a doctor, 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 you know? Doctor but he was Lecter. saying that people just generally have a fear of a person of authority in white. I didn't and, think about that. Yeah. And Ooh. actually, if you ever watch the original Manhunter, it's so funny. Because that, that movie, the original Manhunter, is where Hannibal, uh, the character Hannibal was ever on film. And the movie bombed. Did terribly. It didn't even get that. half yeah. its budget. It was a complete failure. So much so that the, the guy who directed it owned the rights to Hannibal Lecter when they were doing this film. Or when they were going to... They bought the rights to the book. But since he had done that initial one, like he owned Lecter. Oh, okay. Officially, right? He actually gave... The rights to Lecter for free. He was like, it was a piece of shit. Oh, Whatever that's you sad. Can I've just, never seen it. Can you imagine how sad he is That's now? very sad. Yeah. But in that movie, he actually wears a jumpsuit, like a, an orange jumpsuit, if I remember correctly. And I never really thought about it so much until I heard about that part of it, like him selecting white on purpose, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. But when I compare the two different costumes, it really does make a big difference, especially when he's bludgeoning that guy to death and you get the red on the white which is just gorgeous that motherfucker orders lamb for dinner after clarice tells her her lamb <laughs> story. story just what a dick Extra what a dick Extra <laughs> love it i love that oh it's so oh good my god. <laughs> oh my god i just love that whole concept of like using one serial killer to catch another but then you lose control of that serial killer and he fucking escapes and he's loose and Ugh. I love how, like, everybody, when they see, that's how, like, the terrifying this guy is. You have elevator. this whole SWAT team of these, this police force that is trained for combative situations. And they see that fucking dial on the, the, oh, it gives the me elevator. Every and they're time. all just like, assholes could cut diamond right now. <laughs> that gets me every time, just watching that elevator dial move and knowing that he's loose. Because they don't know. But you know. You know what's going you know on. What's we know happening. some of what's going on. Yeah. We haven't you don't even know got the, the full thing. And then he somehow managed to kill the one officer. Pembry. Pembry. He kills Pembry, puts on his face, and then stashes his bo- his faceless body in his clothes, his white on clothes, top on elevator. top of the elevator. And then he takes the other guy, disembowels him, and hangs him up like an angel. With the American flag banner. <laughs> oh my god. That's I, my favorite segment of yeah. this movie. Oh, Just, it's the most terrifying. Oh my all, god, it gets my far. adrenaline pumping every time. Yeah. And then the whole thing in the ambulance where he just sits up and pulls off the face. And that's the I last wish, time you see him until the end. I wish I could remember the first time. Like, I wish I could remember the feeling of the first time I saw that. I'm kind of bummed because I remember the first time I saw it and I wasn't really... <sighs> phased by it. I was too young to really understand how good this movie was because I had been used to like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Poltergeist. And those are amazing movies. They're some of my favorites. But this one was just so much darker and so much more psychological. I didn't really understand the full gravity of it at the time. It took until I was older to really appreciate this movie. It scares me so much more now than it did when I was younger. 
It's terrifying. Oh, so good. It's so fucking so good. So for the record, Hannibal Lecter never said hello, Clarice. No way. Not Is that, once. what do they call that? The Mandela effect or yeah. something? No way. Never said hello, Clarice. He never said never it? Never once. What did he say? When she comes in, he says, good evening, Clarice. He doesn't say hello? He does not say hello. That is so weird. That we crazy? just watched it I and I remember him Me saying too. that. Me you too. You too? Yes. That is so like weird. It's there. Like it's ingrained. Do you want another beer? I do. Sure. And then one other thing is that Hannibal Lecter was not based on any one person. And he was considered a general composite of all the evil that Thomas Harris saw while doing research while writing the book. Ooh, yeah. I feel that. Yeah. I feel I don't know. I was gonna say you feel that, but I don't know if you do, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, that John Douglas, the FBI profiler, he said there's no one, thank goodness, like him. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, and that, that whole escape scene, that's the last time we see Hannibal until the very end of the movie, and that ending just fills me with delight every time where he calls Clarice on the phone and it's some kind of congratulatory ceremony for her. She's getting some kind of award. And then he calls her from some island and he's watching Chilton get off a plane. And he's like, oh, I have to go. I'm having an old friend for, for dinner. dinner. <laughs> and he's going to eat Chilton. I'm so fucked up. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love it. And I love that he actually just plays into the last thing I wanted to mention about him. And I didn't really notice it until this time. But he has this way again. And I think it's that psychiatrism in him and understanding how people work and what they see. But not only does he have the disguise on and all that kind of stuff, but he actually changes the way that he walks. And I was like, Mm. it's chilling and brilliant and scary. And I love that the entire time the credits are rolling, you're just watching him slowly walk after Chilton. Yes, saunter on down He's just loose. (laughs) (laughs) He has been unleashed on the world. This is just started it. He's just He's just getting at that, like, he just got to take care of something real quick. Let so anybody who out there who's listening who hates Hannibal, please write into us and tell us why. Because I think that movie is just 100% fan service for people who wanted to see more of Hannibal Lecter. And it works for me. Yeah. It works. I fucking it is love just Hannibal. A, it yeah. is so much fun. I love that movie. I want to watch it tonight. <laughs> so what I was, the last thing I want to wave into is um, Anthony Hopkins apparently channeled an actor I'm sorry, an author, an actress, and a computer to embody Hannibal. Was the computer mom from Alien? No. Mother? Who was it? It was Hal. Hal? Oh, from 2001? Uh Uh-huh. That movie chilled me to the bone. He wanted, like, kind of a metallic voice, calculated. The author was Truman Capote. Okay. Capote? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. So unclassy. Me too. Hannibal would kill the us. actress with <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Oh wow! And I can see it with the mannerisms. Yeah, like the kind of like it's very like, refined. And yeah, classy but also and... a little bit, just like at the the tiniest bit flamboyant. Yeah, so I can see that. Okay, Buffalo Bill. Let's get on to Buffalo. The polar opposite of Hannibal Lecter, but just as terrifying. It gets me every time, but that scene where he. Pulls a Ted Bundy to kidnap Catherine. I was going to say, to me, that is the most terrifying scene because it's the oh my, most. It's so real. I'm getting goosebumps it's the most just talking about aspect it. And it's just. It's terrifying and so sad. Yeah. It really gets me every time because, you know, the whole thing with Hannibal Lecter is like, 
it's scary and it's thrilling, but it's fun. Right. And he's charming. But again, I think they did this very intentionally. And I'm, I know that Buffalo Bill was kind of modeled after Ed Gein, as so many horror icons were. Well, he'd actually modeled after three shark killers. Ted Bundy had to be one Ted of them, Bundy right? Was because one of them. the way that he lured her into his yes, van by pretending he so. had a broken arm. And he's like, you got to get in, get in. And then the last thing he says to her is, hey, are you about a size 14? And then he just starts punching her. And then having her wake up down in that well and we're watching him upstairs just sewing in old Mrs. Lipman's house. I forgot about the scene where they, because so much is happening during that scene where Clarice is going through the house. And she is, you're again with her watching this from her perspective, but... She's going room to room just seeing horror show after horror show, and she has no time to process it. Neither do you. But there's just like this bathtub full of goo, and it's Mrs. Lipman. And she's like, been down there liquefying for years. Goo, and you. Or like a year or whatever. You don't have time. There's no time. I forget about that every time. Yeah. And And then when she sees the skin suit, and she's like, oh, fuck, but she has to compose herself immediately. Like, there's no time. Speaking of, like, remembering watching it for the first time or not being able to, actually, that is one thing I do remember sticking out to me for the first time. The body or the, the skin suit? No, the body in the bathtub it's and the goo. so grotesque. Was one of the most disgusting things I had Ugh. seen up to that point in my life in a movie. I forget about it And every I feel time. like it's just glossed over. Like, you don't... Yeah. There's so much shit going on. And it's such a high-stakes movie and such an intense scene where so many things are culminating that again you just glance by that but if you really think about it it's just so awful and i love how fast it all happens because again you're with clarice and you don't have time to process it because she is actively pursuing buffalo bill and she's in danger and she doesn't there's just no time you don't have time to take it in you're gonna have to deal with it later right (laughs) i have so few critiques on this movie and I know that there are some and I just I want to bring that up real quick because I think it's absolutely valid and it needs to be talked about but there were critiques against the book and the movie about you know the portrayal of Buffalo Bill and the scene with him dancing in front of the mirror to I think is it Goodbye Horses? Is that the song? And like doing the tuck and just the the whole idea of Bill's pseudo transgender transgenderism being intended to evoke disgust and that scene being intended to evoke disgust and terror. And I know that this movie came out in 1991 and I, I did and still do really appreciate how they kind of tried to move away from that a little bit. Like Clarice explicitly says when she's talking to Dr. Lecter about people who identify as transgender, like they are typically very passive. They're nonviolent. This doesn't really fit. And then they, they definitely clarified that Bill is not actually transgender. He is trying on all these different identities to see like what fits because he covets. So we see at one point... And because he hates himself. Yeah, and because he hates himself. So we see like when you go through his house, there's I forget about this every time too, but there's like a swastika in one room. There's all kinds of shit. There's all kinds of like remnants of other identities that he's tried on. And now the final one, and that's why we have like... The cocoons and the bugs and the moths and the butterflies, like that whole idea of transformation and trying to become something else. This is the one that he thinks is really going to do the trick. Well, but, I don't even think it's the last one. I just think it's the one that's culminating right now. Yeah, that's true. And, and I guess it, it ends up being the last one because he gets killed. But I do have to say I 100% understand and respect the critiques about that. And I, 
I know that it's problematic that that scene was intended to evoke disgust. I do still think that for a movie that came out in 1991, it did a pretty good job of kind of moving away from that and making sure to explicitly say, like, this is not an well, accurate representation. Okay, so I, I do of, have... I do. I 100% understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But I do have to say that a couple things. One, I, I think we were reading like a synopsis afterwards, like that, that this movie pissed off everybody. It pissed off the far right. It pissed off the far left. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's usually a good sign that you're doing the right thing. You know, and the fact that the book especially, and I was also watching this again, I'm like, no, they explicitly say this. There is no point where they indicate that Buffalo Bill is transgender. He's just using this. And so I think what is supposed to elicit disgust is him wearing a wig that is the scalp of another human being while he, you know, does this tuck and is just like, coveting himself yeah i just i understand the critique and just if there had been and if there was better representation of transgender people in horror i think it would be a little bit better but i do understand and completely empathize with that concern because it it really has been abysmal and i wish we had better representation of marginalized people in horror in general and i think we're kind of moving in that direction but i think they made it as explicit as possible that this is not a representation, that's not who this person is. Like, there was, there was nothing indicating that they were trying to make, or even not trying to make, you know, innocently, if you'll say, or whatever, uh, carelessly making a judgment call. Like, I didn't see that at all. I do appreciate the care that they took to emphasize, like, this is not what we're saying, but... I just, I felt like it was important to bring that up and that I think it's a valid critique and a valid concern. And that being said, I think that under those circumstances that it was handled pretty well. I do. Okay. And well, it's, I, it's not going to, it's not going to affect my rating. That's fine. I <laughs> that's fine. understand bringing it up that it wasn't concerned at the time. It's just because so, I mean, so often a person being revealed as transgender is like used as something horrific and it's supposed to scare you and supposed to disgust you and unfortunately that's kind of what that's been in horror and in real life like so many transgender people are murdered for being oh i know you're not that's this is just why i felt the need to bring it up because i i understand like where that concern is coming from this movie did do a good job of moving away from that and saying this character is not transgender he is trying on these different identities yeah, but that, like, I don't know what else you could possibly up. do yeah that's why I brought it up but I just I feel like it was important to bring it up sure that being said the scenes with Buffalo Bill and Catherine are to be the scariest scenes in the movie like the stuff with Hannibal is scary and thrilling and fun but the scenes with Buffalo Bill and Catherine down in that well are truly horrifying there's one that gets me every time that I love where she's down there and it's the whole, you know, it puts the lotion on the skin scene. And then she's kind of looking around and getting her bearings on her surrounding. And then she looks up and sees the broken off fingernails on the, the walls of the and, well and yeah. just starts screaming. And then he starts mocking her and screaming too. Mm-hmm. And then it just cuts away. Like, I hate it so much. It's just <laughs> terrible. And then you have the... The cocoon, or the, um, what are the deadhead 
Oh, moth. the uh, death's head moth. Death's head moth, and like, what a what an interesting thing to include. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't feel like. I feel like that was just extra seasoning and decoration on top. I feel like that could have been completely omitted, and the movie probably would have been just as good. But what an interesting and neat thing to put in there. It is. It makes me think of that Dolly painting. You know what's so crazy? Yeah. What? I feel like I had read this before. That is Dolly. So the movie poster. Well, okay, so there's the painting, and then there's the photograph. Okay, so Dolly did the painting yeah. of, like, seven women, naked women, in the shape of a skull. And then a photographer was inspired by that, so he actually did, like, a live art thing where he had seven naked women in real life form into that structure. And Dolly is actually next to them, and that's, like, a very famous photograph. That photograph is what is inside the moth's head. So Dolly... Is actually there. Oh, it's so cool. It's actually like so the Dolly photograph. Cool. I, love Dolly. I know. There's also, um, I know you're not a fan of this movie, but I absolutely love The Descent. And the cover photo of The Descent is that Dolly painting oh, okay. with that skull. It's I've always cool. loved that shit. Yeah. The, the woman skull. Yeah, you know, like, it's that's so such a cool. Neat thing. And like, and if you really want to put an extra flair on it, the fact that this movie is such a feminist movie and the fact that it's about a murderer of you know like murdering women and Clarice and a male dominated world and the idea of having like the death head skulls shaped with naked women what an interesting thing because that's something that nobody would normally look at I still think of this so fondly and I've mentioned it so many times but I just it was such a fun memory for me when I went when I got to go see this movie in theaters at the Bay Theater in Seal Beach with my friend Nicole, because this is actually, she is 100% not a horror fan, but this is her favorite movie of all time, which is just awesome. But we went to go see it at the Bay Theater, and like halfway through the movie, when shit really starts going down, there was this giant moth just loose in the theater, and it was so perfect. Before we wrap up Buffalo Bill, I think we have to talk about the iconic night vision scene. Oh, God. That I'm, shit is scary. I can't remember what movie we covered when we did this, but we did an intro section once where we were talking about the best movies or the best scenes that really put you in the shoes of oh, like, certain characters. That. No, we talked about did that. Did we? I okay. did. Yeah, okay, I, I mentioned job. the good night vision you. scene, but good it's interesting because it's one of the few scenes in the movies where we actually aren't seeing it from Clarice's perspective. We're watching her from Bill's perspective, but because of that, you can see the true terror and desperation on her face and how terrified she is like she is 100% groping in the dark it's pitch black and bill has these night vision goggles and he is just one well, step can you behind think of her anything more terrifying i cannot <laughs> that being chased through a murder house by you've a serial killer seen, like you've seen pitch, his work you've been investigating you getting suit, in his head you saw the liquefied body what, yeah she can hear Catherine screaming down in the well and he's loose. And he is loose, and it is pitch black, and he can see her, but she can't see him. Right. And then he just, she hears him cock the gun, and in a split second, she's able to turn around quickly enough and just empty the barrel into him. And then we just see him spitting up blood with those goggles on, and he dies. It's God, so good. I love this fucking movie. It's so good. I was going to ask you, like, what your top three favorite scenes are, but I feel like we kind of... No, we don't even We kind of talked about that. Every every moment of this movie is just sheer perfection. Absolutely. It's perfect. So, obviously, 
this is a 13 out of 12 movie. Yeah. Hands down. Like, I think this is one of the top 10 best movies ever made. Yeah, not just horror not movies. Horror this movies. is one of the best Hands movies down, of all time. Period. Done. One of the best movies ever fucking made. Yeah, and like we normally rate on a scale of 0 to 12 beers. This is obviously an easy 12 for both of us. I would say, like you said, 13 out of 12. This is a 13 just... out of 12. And speaking of how good this fucking movie is, two things. Two fun facts. Okay. One is that in all of the years that we've had the Oscars, I'm not like an Oscar dude by any means, but yeah. this is a pretty fun fact. Of all the years that there's... We've been doing the Oscars. They have something that's called the Big Five. And that is winning Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Director, and Screenplay. They consider that the Big Five. There have been a total of 43 films nominated for this in the history of the Oscars. Three have won it. This is one of them. It won all five. It won all five. Wow. This is one of those wow. three movies. And it's a Oscars, horror movie. And it's a fucking horror movie. That's so rare. I'm so just, that makes me so proud. Makes you proud. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> and the other thing, how good this fucking movie is, guess who gave it a thumbs down? Was it Roger Ebert? Siskel. He gave it a thumbs down? He gave it a thumbs down. Why did he give it a thumbs he down? He thought it was an overrated much ado about nothing piece of shit. What a dick. What a pretentious fuck. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Like, I feel like horror critics should be separate from regular movie critics. It's a totally different ballpark. I can't remember which one it is. I don't like follow those dudes. But one of those guys, it's probably him. He will not rate any fucking horror movie well. It's usually Roger Ebert. Is it Ebert? Yeah, he always talks shit on horror movies. Almost always. Oh, man. He hates them. It's like you shouldn't be reviewing horror movies if you hate them. Right. Get somebody who likes horror movies. Yeah. Or at least respects them. (laughs) But yeah, 12 out of 12, 13 out of 12. It is absolute perfection. It's one of the best movies of all time. It will always be in my top 10. It's so good. I love it so much. I would watch it again right now. Right now. Right now. No problem. Wouldn't be bored at all. I kind of want to watch Hannibal right now. Right now. Can't we? Let's do it. Okay. So, I know that we pair all of our horror movies with beer, but this is a special occasion. It's Halloween, and it's also a special movie, and Dr. Hannibal Lecter would never drink beer. No. So, I think we can only pair this movie with a nice Chianti. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the only option. Drink have a some beer. Liver. Yeah, have some liver and a nice Chianti. Maybe some fava beans. If you want. If you want. Lamb chops, extra rare. Extra rare. Lar. Nice Chianti. Enjoy. It's so Happy good. Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. So, after this episode, we are going to be taking a much needed break for the remainder of the holiday season. Sanity vacation. <laughs> We are very tired, very burned out, and we want to make sure that we come back refreshed and ready to give you guys some more quality episodes. So we will be taking this much needed break. But in the meantime, our Instagram page will be active. I will still be posting. This is a great time to send in your movie suggestions if you have any for us. Feel free to email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. We will be available I will still be active in the horror community. I would love to know if anybody has any good 
horror suggestions for the holidays, especially Christmas, and yeah. that is not Black Christmas. Yeah. Is there any good horror movies for the holidays? Yeah, send those our way. We are, by all means, going to still be watching plenty of horror movies in the meantime, and I know exactly what movie I'm going to choose for when we come back. I'm going to keep that a surprise for now. Nice. But I know what we'll be coming back with, and it is a banger. So thank you guys so much for your support. If you're not following us already on Instagram, you can follow us at Blood Fear and Beer Podcast on Instagram. I'll be posting. Send us your suggestions. Send us beer recommendations because it's been slim pickings lately. Or Chianti. Or Chianti. A nice nice Chianti. Chianti. If you have any of those in mind. (laughs) In advance, happy holidays. We look forward to our return. Keep it spooky. Cheers, everybody. Happy holidays. Cheers. Join us again for another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Night, night. <laughs>